2 Corinthians chapter 3. And uh, do you have that passage? If you're not sure we're 2 Corinthians, turn to 1 Corinthians. I didn't go a little farther. It's uh, 2 Corinthians is what, like the eighth book in the New Testament there? And uh, we've got the four Gospels and then Acts and Romans and 1 Corinthians. And uh, we'll look at this passage together here. Would you stand with me, please? And uh, two verses are our text. But in order for us to understand what these verses are talking about, we'll look at the rest of the passage and really the practical points flow out of that into the next chapter. And I think they are very helpful. But do you understand Paul didn't write in chapters? Paul wrote a letter. And we have come along, not us in particular, uh, but uh, I don't even know where it all started, but divided it into chapters and verses. And I sure am glad that I'm not having to tell you um, hey, take Paul's letter to 2 Corinthians and turn, oh, like maybe a fifth of the way through it or something, you know. I'm glad that we're able to say chapter 3 and look at this. And right at the end, and that's what the, of the chapter we'll look at, but that's why the next verses flow right as part of it. And uh, let's look at verse 17 and 18. We'll just read these to begin with and then jump on in. It says in verse 17, Now the Lord is that spirit. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. That's one of the most taken out of context verses in the entire Bible. And the spirit of the Lord is there. I got freedom to do whatever I want. No, you don't understand your Bible. Uh, verse 18, but we all with open face beholding as in a glass. Many of you know what that is. What, what kind of glass is that talking about? Mirror. That's what we would call it. Very good. We beholding as in a glass, a mirror, the glory of the Lord, what happens to us? Are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. But that phrase, are changed into the same image. And I am preaching a message on the series, Living Like Jesus. And I want to preach to you the message tonight, changed into his image. We are becoming like him. What, all right, well, so what does that mean? That's actual, an actual picture, by the way, uh, of, of, uh, of Jesus. And uh, not really. Uh, but I thought that's a, that's a good one to capture our attention and becoming like him. And, uh, but what does it mean? Okay, so if we, we look at this and we see, all right, uh, we're changed into the same image from glory to glory. We behold as in a glass the glory of the Lord are changed into the same image. I'll tell you what I, what I originally thought and you probably think the same type of thing until we look at it a little deeper and then we start starts making sense, really, of what this is talking about. I hope it'll be a help to you. I know it's been a help to me. And let's pray. Father, would you use this message? Would you help us to be transformed into your image and see what that means so that we can live like you? That is our desire, to become more like you. We love you. We need to be more like you. We need you. We can't do it on our own. We ask for your help in Jesus' name. Amen. To tell you a little bit about 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians is probably the least systematic, if you will, the least organized of all of Paul's epistles because Paul is under attack and he's writing to defend himself. And the 1 Corinthians, man, that letter was tearing up. If we were there, if we would love to be in that church when it was read if we were not a member of that church. 
It'd be the kind of thing if you're sitting with your family, you wouldn't be saying amen or anything as the preacher's reading the letter of Paul to 1 Corinthians. You'd be touching the people next to you going, man, somebody is in big time trouble. That's the whole letter. Paul was saying, you guys are fussing with each other and fighting with each other. You can't get along. You're carnal. And let me tell you some of the sins that everybody in the whole city knows about. And he's just going at it. And you're going, oh, man, this is rough. And it's good. He loves them. And by the way, somebody who truly loves them can speak the truth in love like he did. And of course, it's under inspiration of the Holy Spirit. But I tell you about 1 Corinthians because people were mad. And so people came in afterwards and said, the only reason Paul did that, who does he think he is? Here's what his motives are. Here's who he is. And so he's having to answer and defend himself. And so it's, it's writing. It's as though you were under a personal attack. And you're trying to answer people and say, no, that's not the case. That's not the case. This is the case. And so it's, it's, it's very emotional. And so therefore, it's not like Romans. Here's the case. Here's the case. Here's the case. The, all the other letters are so systematic compared to this one. He says at the end of chapter 3 that we behold the, the Lord, the glory of the Lord, and we're changed from glory to glory. We're changed into the same image. And I look at this verse, and one of the first things I do whenever I look at a passage is I think, okay, what does this mean? Some passages, boy, they just stand right out, or I know, or I've studied them before. This is one that I'm thinking, okay, I know this, and here's what I felt like it means, and it, it's not necessarily inaccurate. Maybe you, this is about as far as I got. I'm just showing you not the, the wrong nature of it, but the surface nature. Okay, if I will behold the Lord... And I'll see his glory. I'll be changed into his likeness. And that's good. But what if somebody says, what does that mean? I shouldn't have to tell you what it means. Okay, you have a Bible. Read it for yourself, right? You got the same Holy Spirit talking. That means I don't know. Well, pastor, it says change from glory to glory. I don't know. I know this, we should be more like Christ. I'll preach messages from this passage, and after I'm looking back going, I don't know if I knew what I was talking about. <laughs> and uh, I, I, I did, after I totally finished this, I looked back at that other message and thought, okay, I didn't preach any heresy, that's a good thing. That I understand what it means, how this transfer, what glory to glory, and how we're transformed into his image, and what that means, and what the results are of it, no. But I think I can help us understand that tonight. And I'm excited about that. I'm excited about being able to help us here. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you about this chapter. I'm going to tell you what's going on. And the first part of the message, as I explain this chapter, I'm going to go a little bit faster so that I can take my time when we get down to the, here's the results of it. Okay, so uh, uh, hop on for the ride and we'll look at this, Okay. No sooner did Paul uh, preach the gospel of God's grace, all right? And he's telling us, listen, we are not saved by works. We are saved only by, by grace through faith. That's the only way, we could, meaning we didn't deserve it. And what did the Jews start doing? The Jews started saying, well, hey, Paul is telling people they don't have to obey the law to, or they can forsake the law of Moses, which is true. And you don't, the fact that we don't have to obey the law of Moses to be saved, that part is true. But Paul was not telling people, I just forsake the law of Moses. 
This passage is really what, what he's explaining. In fact, they attacked Paul. He went to, to Galatia on his first missionary journey. And he's telling them what's going on, and he deals with, in the letter of Galatians with the, of law versus grace. He comes back from that, and they have the Jerusalem council trying to recognize or realize if Jews are actually getting saved. And they're telling him at that, hey, don't tell people to forsake the law, but they don't have to obey the law to be saved. And what would be the sign that the Jews would look to? Boy, you really followed all of the law in that day if you were a Gentile and you were willing to get circumcised. In our day and age, that's so commonplace. We, it, it doesn't even make any sense. In fact, we think, what is the deal with their fixation? All right. Well, we don't talk about it. We don't. You know, we haven't had. I haven't had a conversation with anybody walking up. Hey, you know, right? And uh, it's just how it is in America. But them, it was a big deal. In fact, Timothy, when they took Timothy, when Paul took Timothy to help him because his mother or his father was Greek, Paul said, uh, Timothy, they're all going to ask you. Can you imagine evangelists showing up and the whole church going, Hey, I got a question about uh, real personal nature. <laughs> right. So it, it was a different day and age. But that was a sign to all the Jews, oh, okay, they're actually willing to follow the law. But some of them were saying, you have to follow the law to be saved, which wasn't true. The reason I bring that up is because these Judaizers, is what they're called, followed Paul to Corinth and, was, and were talking about the law versus grace. And Paul has to defend it, and he does so in this chapter. And so they wanted a mixture of law and grace. This message was carried by a zealous group of people that we call Judaizers. He wrote his letter to the Galatians to refute their doctrines, and you'll find him referring to them several times in 2 Corinthians. By the way, one more thought before I go further on this. When Paul came back from his journey with the Corinthians and then the, the time at Ephesus the second journey and the third journey, when he comes back, it's Pentecost. And they said, hey, we want you to prove you're not against the law by taking a Nazarite vow according to the law, going into the temple with Jews and showing that you, you are not just disregarding the law. But Paul would tell you, you don't have to follow the law to be saved. But that, that, that's what it was a result of. And so Paul is dealing with this in Corinth. He did follow through with that. They thought he was a Gentile because they shaved their heads. They're harder to recognize. Paul took Gentiles in the temple. They were ready to kill him. And then you have the rest of the book of Acts. That was the summary of the last uh, seven or eight chapters of Acts. And if only I could always summarize that quickly. Now, how did Paul refute the doctrines and practices of these Judaizers? By showing, and here's the key tonight, that the glory of the New Testament of grace was excelling and exceeding the Old Testament of law. We, you know, we don't get saved differently than they did in the Old Testament. But the Old Testament emphasized law, so we saw our need for salvation. When the New Testament comes along, it is an emphasis on grace, but we still got saved the exact same way as Abraham way back at the beginning of the Old Testament. He had faith in a coming Savior. We have faith in a Savior that came. In fact, Paul deals with it in the book of Romans. Okay, now back to 2 Corinthians here. I want us to understand one particular phrase from our text. You got your Bible there? All right, look at verse, look at verse 18. Okay, it says, but we all. So who does that include? Everybody, all the Christians there, okay? With open face beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord. Here it is. Here's the phrase. 
are changed into the same image. I want us to understand. When I'm done tonight, I want you to understand that phrase. But in order for us to understand that, we need to notice a couple of key words. So look at verse 17 and 18 again. When I pause, you fill in the word. Are you still with me? Okay. Verse 17. Now the Lord is that, and where the of the Lord is, there is. But we all with open face beholding as in a, a glass the of the Lord are changed into the same image from to even as by of the Lord. So we have liberty. That's not the emphasized word, even though I stopped and let you say that one. But those other two, the spirit is the key. And we're changed from glory to glory. So this, these two verses talk about the spirit and talk about glory. I don't think you know yet. We're not supposed to know yet. I mean, it'd be wonderful if we all understood the Bible as soon as we picked it up and read it. That'd be great, okay? But I am not expecting you in this message to know why the Spirit, why glory, as much as I want you to see. If we're going to understand those verses, we got to understand where Paul's coming from, what it has to do with the Spirit and glory. Are you still with me? Okay, good. In order to understand those words, do you see what we've done? I want to understand a phrase, changed into his image. In order to understand that phrase, we need to understand two words, all right? The and Okay, in order for us to understand that, we got to see where they're introduced in this chapter. Okay, so let's look back earlier in this chapter. Are you ready? Okay, I want you to notice these two words. Uh, we'll pick it up at verse 5, but verse 6 introduces us to one of the words, verse 7 to another one, okay? Uh, and uh, uh, or actually, verse 3, uh, you see that... Uh, uh, we, ye are manifestly declared to be the epistle of Christ, ministered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God. So that's how it's manifest. Now look at verse 5. Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything as of ourselves. Where does our sufficiency come from? Last phrase there. Our sufficiency is of God. So you understand who the who is in verse 6. God, who also hath made us able ministers of the New Testament. You're going to see a lot of talk about that. Not of the letter, but of the... For the letter killeth, but spirit gives us life. So here's where we're introduced to the spirit. And what other word are we going to be introduced to here? All right, good. All right, you're, you're getting A's tonight. Okay, and uh, but verse 7, if the ministration of death, by the way, that's the Old Testament, written and engraven in stones was, what's the next word? So we're going to count the word glorious as part of glory, right? That makes sense. So that the children of Israel could not steadfastly behold the face of Moses for the, of his countenance. What about that glory? Which glory was to be what? How shall not the ministration of, see that's different than the ministration of death. The ministration of the spirit be rather what? Glorious. For if the ministration of condemnation be much more doth the ministration of righteousness exceed in. All right. For even that which was made glorious, ah, there's another one, I'm going to underline that one, I missed that one, had no, in this respect, by reason of the, that excelleth. It didn't seem glorious. Why? Because there's a glory that excelled it. You can't see a bright star if it's lost in another bright star. Because the glory of that, brighter star excels in strength and so we lose sight of that star 
That's what he's saying. Was there glory in the Old Testament? Yes. But that doesn't seem glorious because the glory of the New Testament excels because it's a ministry of grace. I'm getting way ahead of myself. I just can't help it. By reason of the glory that excelleth. For if that which is done away, the Old Testament was, much more that which remaineth, the New Testament is. Is it starting to come together? Okay. You may not get it yet, but you will. Okay, so as we're going through the passage, you probably notice not just spirit and glory, but a contrast that I started to introduce between the Old Testament, Moses being given the law, and the New Testament. Why was the law given? To, somebody said it. To show us our need for salvation. Could anybody get saved by the law? No, but yet a man asked Jesus, what, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? And he said, keep the commandments. That's not how you get saved. Aha, that's how you get to the first point of salvation. Okay, I'm going to keep the law, and what do you find that you do? Fall flat on your face. You can't. So what do we need? I need something greater than the law. Bingo, you need a Savior. That's what Jesus was trying to get him to do. So in this, what we're dealing with in this passage, we're going to read these verses again. We read the verses a moment ago to find the Spirit Define glorious and glory. But we noticed a contrast between the Old Testament given to Moses, the law, which was never meant to save, and it did have some glory. If it didn't have glory, how come Moses' face was shining? Right? So that had a purpose, but now one comes that excels. That's the New Testament, the spirit of grace that we have. The new, I can live my life for Jesus because I'm accepted in him. I don't have to keep the law to be saved. It's wonderful. All right, so let's look and see how this passage contrasts it. All right. We're looking at the ministry of the Old Covenant with the ministry of the New Covenant. Because by the time we get to the last verse in the passage, which is our key verse, so that we can understand the phrase changed into his image, we have to understand this. Okay. So we're going to go back now and notice the contrast. As we work through this chapter, we're going to note the different names that Paul uses for the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. Landon and Quincy, you need to sit up and pay attention. I'm just messing with you. You guys have been great. But I want you to come on up here. All right? <laughs> they thought they were in trouble, man. <laughs> come on up here. <laughs> They're like, oh, no, man, I'm in so big trouble. You're not. Quincy, go stand over here. Landon, stand right here. I've been thinking of this this afternoon, and I thought, it will help if I have a little bit of a visual aid, okay, between the two covenants. All right, Landon, he is the Old Testament. He is the law. And if you know Landon, Landon is the law, right? This is what was said. It stays said for the rest of eternity because this is Landon's gift. We love Landon. It's part of his charm. Okay, Quincy here is the New Testament. You didn't have to stand so far away. You've got to be equally centered because your pastor has issues, and so I've got to have him balanced. Does that look about right? Is that good? Okay. You understand I preach in an auditorium that is off-center, right? The center of the auditorium is not the center of that. I have issues. Okay. Anyway. Quincy here. Nice shirt, Quincy. I like that. I like that tie. It's pretty good. You're doing all right, buddy. Okay. Old covenant. The law. Given to who? Moses. The new covenant. This is glorious. That's glorious too. But this one has, is brighter. and All right. So we're going to look through this passage and we're going to see which one we need to throw over to Quincy and which one we need to throw over to Landon here. Okay. Are you still with me? 
you like seeing them embarrassed? Yeah, we all do. Okay, it's great. Makes it so much easier to pay attention seeing them get embarrassed. Okay, so let's look at the contrast. Let's think of the name. All right, we'll start off in verse 5. He says, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything as of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God. Here we go. Who also hath made us able ministers of which testament? Which one is that? Quincy. All right, good. Not of the letter. So Quincy's the New Testament. He is not of the letter of the law. Who would that be? That's Landon. Landon is the letter. That works out good. We're alliterated, okay? But what is Quincy? Of the... So Quincy is which, which covenant? New, new covenant, New Testament. Landon is which one? Landon is the what of the law? Quincy is the... Okay, this is good. For, what does the letter do? For the letter killeth. Landon, come on, man. The old covenant kills. Why? Because the Jews think I can keep the letter of the law. I know how many paces I'm allowed to walk on the Sabbath. I know what covenants I need to keep or what, what uh, 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 sacrifices I need to keep. In fact, they were willing to tithe of their what? Herbs and spices. Who does that? And so people thought, I can get, I can earn my way to heaven. Can you? That's why the letter kills. But the spirit, which by the way, God is not saying, ooh, this was bad. No, God knows it had a purpose. Because remember, it's also what? Glorious. I heard somebody say it's also glorious. But not when it's taken out of its purpose. The purpose of him, Landon, point to Quincy. Is to point over there. So we come to the law. Keep pointing, man. See how long we can make you keep your arm up. No, I won't do that. But he's pointing over there. So we come to the law, we're like, oh, what? Oh, he's pointing us to the new covenant pictured by Christ. The law is supposed to show us, hey, I am totally fulfilled in Christ. As far as God is concerned, I have kept the entire law. Well, James said, if I've broken one point of the law, I've broken the whole thing. Yes, but James is also saying that if I will put my faith in Christ... God looks down at me and I have the perfect righteousness of Christ and he fulfilled the law. So therefore, since his record's on my record, I have fulfilled the law because the law was pointing to Christ. All right, good job. I didn't say put your hand up. No, you can't. Okay. The letter killeth, but the spirit, Quincy, what does the spirit do? Gives life. The New Testament gives us life. All right, where are we going? Which verse are we heading to? To, to the end of the chapter. So which verse? And what phrase are we trying to understand? All right, changed into his image. We, in order to understand that, we've got to understand what two words? And glory. Yep, spirit and glory. Okay. All right, so you're still with me. Okay, is this helping? Visual aid helping here? Okay. Are you confused, Gary? Oh, okay. You're just messing with me. You know I can hear you from up here. Okay. Verses 7 through 11 is the heart of the chapter. And it talks about the verse we just read, verse 6. So let's read verse 6 again and then see, see how 7 through 11 are going to lay it out for us. Verse 6 again. Who, God, the word, last word of the fifth verse, also hath made us able ministers of the New Testament. We point over here. Not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter killeth, but the Spirit giveth life. Verses 7 through 11 explain verse 6. So we're going to look at that in a second. 
He is affirming the glory of the new covenant over here, of grace, and that it was better than the old covenant. Sorry, Landon. And he gave several reasons to support it. Okay, so let me give you the reasons he says Quincy's better than Landon. The Old Testament is inferior to the New Testament. Okay, so what's one reason? Look at verse 7 and 8. Okay, but if the ministration of death, which one is that? Law, that's Landon. Ministration of death. Okay, written and engraven in what? Stones. So who had, who had the law written and engraven in stones? What Moses did, okay? And you've probably heard of the great phrase describing Moses, hey, Mo, okay? And went on later to appear in uh, the Three Stooges, okay? Originally referred to Moses. I just made that up. And uh, you're, you're shocked, right? Uh, it was so not funny, I must have made it up. But he had engraven in stones, Wait a second. All right, Landon, now we're starting to help you here because look what it says about you in verse 7. Written and engraven in stones was what? Glorious. Finally, something good, Landon, right? It's glorious. So it's not saying it's worthless. It's saying it's glorious. If it was written in stone, it was glorious. How do we know? So that the children of Israel could not steadfastly behold what? The face of Moses. Why? What happened to his face? The glory was shining off his face. When he came down, his face was glowing, and it's not because he needed more foundation. Right? He didn't have a light shining off of his face, and we're going, man, you need to put something on it. No, it was glowing. In fact, people, it made people nervous. Okay, behold the face of Moses. Why? For the glory, we're talking about glory, of his countenance. What was going to happen to that glory, though? Which glory what? Was to be done away. Why did he wear a veil? So people couldn't see it. No. So people wouldn't see when it what? Went away. Because, man, I followed that guy, and he's got a glow about him. And then a little bit later, they're following Moses, and they're saying, hey, have you noticed Moses lately? Have you seen his face? Yeah, but I, no, you've seen his face. Yeah, but two months ago, we couldn't see his face. You're right. He's losing it. Moses is losing the glory on his face. God is leaving him. That's why he had a veil on his face, so they wouldn't see the end of it. Okay, that was free. Which glory was to be done away? Verse 8, how shall not, we don't want Quincy to feel alone, how shall not the ministration of what? The Spirit, Quincy. Be rather glorious. Why? Because Landon, what's going to happen to his glory? You know what's going to happen to the glory of the new covenant? It's forever. It doesn't go away. Because as long as God tarries his coming, anybody can be saved. Way to go. Way to go. You had glory, but you lose it. Okay. So, first thought, I've already explained it. The new covenant glory means spiritual life. Not death. That was verse 7. If the ministration of death versus the ministration of spirit. So the opposite of death is what? Right. So here why, is why Paul is saying Quincy's better than Landon. The new covenant's better than the old. Because that led to death, this one leads to life. You still with me? Okay, now he's going to give us another reason in verse 7. 
All right, look at the... But if the ministration of death, where was it? What's that next phrase in verse 7? Written and engraven where? In stones. Was that inside? Or outside? It's, in, it's written and engraven in stones. Now, he does... Jesus... Not Jesus, but God does say later, he talks about it in Jeremiah, that you have a heart of stone. And I'm going to give you a heart of flesh that it's written on. And that, okay. And, and so we can have a stony heart. We can have a hard heart, but that's not what this means. This was external. Landon would carry around, Moses would carry around the graven in stone. By the way, we t maybe you don't. I think we tend to think of the law, Moses and the Ten Commandments, these big tables. Have you seen the Ten Commandments? They're not very long. It, it's probably very small, these Ten Commandments. Now, I think there was more written on there than just the Ten Commandments, but I don't think Moses is carrying around these great big tablets. I think he's got a smaller tablet. Okay, and uh, tablets come to mean something totally different nowadays, hasn't it? So here's the second thought. The New Covenant means we have an internal power, not an external product. Okay. The law is external, and people need an internal power if their lives are to be transformed. Okay, here's what I want you to do. Landon, I want you to go sit down and grab your Bible. Quincy, I want you to go sit down and grab your Bible, but I want you to come over here because I'm going to have you come back up in a second. Okay, both of you. But that way you're not having to stand up here for the rest of the service, though it was kind of fun. No, you stay there. I'm sorry. My instructions have not been clear, but they are now. All right, so you can be seated. There you go. Thanks, guys. I, I do appreciate your help. And I don't want them to distract from, from something I want you to see. If we do obey according to the law, often it's not from the heart. Let me make sure. If we obey because of rules. Now, we all understand there needs to be the presence of rules. But if we obey because of rules, that's external. It's not internal. And often we revert to a sinful ways worse than before. Okay, leave your finger here in 2 Corinthians and look at Romans 6, 17. While you're turning there, I want to explain why this verse is important to me in Romans 6. When I was on tour as a college student, I came across another pastor's kid. Uh, it was a young lady. We had a good rapport, strictly as pastor's kids. We, it's like we understood what the other one was saying because we both felt some of the same pressure. She had a brother, obviously also a pastor's kid, who was away from the Lord. And she said, why is it we can grow up in the same home, with the same parents, hear the same teaching, and go away. one goes away from the Lord and the other has a desire to serve the Lord. I didn't have an answer. We spent the night in that area and the next day before we left, we got back together at the church and she was there and, she, and I, I said, hey, I was, this was bothering me last night so I looked it up and I went, the Lord gave me Romans 6 here. Verse 15 says, what then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? God forbid... Paul's explaining, know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, 
whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. But verse 17, here it is. But that's not you. See, verse 17, but God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin. What gave him victory? But ye have, what's the next? Obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered to you. At some point in time, God used people in my life, whether it was my father, Brother Dalton, my brother, some of you, the things that I was taught, the doctrine that was delivered me, I obeyed from the heart and said, I want that. And so that, wait a second, I was adopting that and through the Spirit's help, letting that be my motivation as opposed to Steve, you have to do this, and you have to do this, and you have to do this, and we're checking on this to see if you've done this, and we want to... It wasn't the motivation of everybody else. It was, God, I love you, and I want this to come from... I want to serve you because I want to serve you. I went to college, and a lot of college students struggled. Many of them didn't. Well, we all did. You understand. But, I mean, really struggled. But every time I saw that, I thought, I know that I've got sins that I battle with and I struggle with and I, I need the Lord's help to get victory over. But I never thought of, eh, I'm just going to pack it all in. No. Why? Because when I went there, it was part of my heart. And the law can't give that to you. The Spirit can. Here's a third so far, we've got, uh, well, I won't go into all of it right now. All right, come back up here, fellas, and stand on the opposite sides if you would. Look at verse 9. All right, we're going to point to these boys again. Verse 9, for if the ministration of what? All right, I'm sorry, I didn't give you a chance to turn back to 2 Corinthians, right? Chapter 3, verse 9. Told you to leave your finger there. Okay. You got it? Look what it says. For if the ministration of what? Which one would that be? Landon. The ministration of condemnation. Is condemnation good or bad? That's bad. But the ministration of condemnation, the old covenant, be glory. Much more doth the ministration of righteousness, Quincy, exceed in glory. For even that which was made glorious had no glory in this respect by reason of the glory that excelleth. His glory was nothing compared to his glory, but his glory was so bright, you couldn't even tell there was glory over here. The glory of the New Testament was so great. It's a matter of grace and faith and acceptance by God as his child. It's so glorious. This one over here can't even compare. You can't even tell it's glory. Okay, you still with me? Okay. Verse 10. I already read. Okay. Uh, so the new covenant glory means righteousness not condemnation. Okay. The law produces condemnation, Landon, and is the mirror that reveals how dirty our faces really are. But you know what the problem is? Can you clean your face with a mirror? You can look into a mirror and clean your face, but you can't use that mirror. When you clean your face at the sink, you might think, yeah, I use a mirror to clean my face. No, you don't. You use a sink to clean your face while looking in the mirror. Or a washcloth. You don't rub your face against the mirror. Okay. All right. The law lost its glory when compared to the surpassing glory of God's grace. And last, we're working our way through the passage here, verse 11. For if that which is done away, is that Landon or Quincy? That land in the old covenant was glorious. Much more that which remaineth, Quincy, is glorious. So the new covenant glory is permanent, not temporary. These are great kids. 
But since they're representing the law and grace, he loses. But wait a second, he's not awful. There's glory there. That glory just can't compare with grace, with the new covenant, with Quincy over here, okay? So this is good, this is good. Now, go ahead and be seated, fellas. And you can go sit back where you were, Quincy. You don't have to stay over here. Now look at verse 12. Seeing then that we have such hope. What hope? We're not bound by the law. We have grace. We use great plainness of speech. In other words, Paul's saying, because of this, let me talk to you plainly. Verse 13 to 16 explains Moses' veil. And verse 13, and not as Moses, this is historical information, and not as Moses, which put a veil over his face that the children of Israel could not steadfastly look to what? The end of that which is abolished. So when Moses comes down from communing with God, his face shone reflecting God's glory. All right, I'm going to keep moving here. Next we come to the, that's the historical information about Moses. Then we come to the national restriction. Here's what it means to Israel. Verse 14. But their minds were blinded. Whose minds? The children of Israel could not steadfastly look to the end. Their minds, Israel, were blinded. For until this day, when Paul was writing, remaineth the same veil untaken away in the reading of the Old Testament, which veil is done away in Christ. The Jews heard the Old Testament and they had a veil over their face and they could not get the fact there was something better. In fact, when Paul suggested something's better, they were ready to kill him because of the glory they saw over here. The reason they could see this glory is because they had their back turned on this glory and that veil over their face, their minds are blinded, is done away where? In Christ. So they meet Christ and they realize, this is awesome. Oh, Glory. What about that glory? What glory? I can't even see that anymore because I'm experiencing grace. <laughs> it's good. Which veil is done away in Christ? But even unto this day when Moses is read, the veil is upon their heart. Nevertheless, when it, Israel, shall turn to the Lord, the veil shall be taken away. Now, the Lord is that spirit that takes it away. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is what? Liberty, not bondage. Liberty. That's the historical information, the national restriction, and now the personal application. Verse 18, the climax of the whole chapter. But we all, not Jews, although some were Jews. Why? Because he's writing to Corinth and there were Jews and Gentiles. But those Jews were not the ones with the veil over their face because they believed in Christ. And so in Christ, what happened to the veil? It's done away, right? Okay. I didn't lose you, did I? Okay. We all, all of us, with open face, because the veil's not there, beholding as in a glass, a mirror, a new glory. What glory? The glory of the Lord. Because of grace because we're not under the law, are changed into the same image. Who are we beholding? The Lord, the glory of the Lord. We are changed into the same image from glory of the law to the glory of Christ. We become like Christ. We behold Christ, and he begins to change us into his image. And it becomes so wonderful that the Old Testament, we... It, it, 
it, it can't even compare except to point us to Christ. From glory to glory. So now you know what that means. From the old glory to the glory of Christ. How? Even as by the Spirit of the Lord. There is liberty. Okay? The, the, we see the glory of the Lord. Not like the Old Testament, rather like the New Testament. Now here's the heart of the message. I want to give you a couple thoughts about being changed into his image. Look at verse 18. From glory to glory. The first thing I want to tell you is when you get your eyes on Christ, he makes a difference in your life. There is a radical change in your life. This series, Living Like Jesus, you know what that means? You are different because you're becoming like Christ, and that is radically different from who you used to be. I am not the man I used to be, not because of my goodness or anything I've done, but because I've spent my time looking at Christ and thinking, what would you do? What do you want? I love you. I want you to be my motivation. And what happens is he keeps changing me and changing me and changing me and changing me, and I turn around and see, whoa, big time change. From glory to glory, I'm becoming like him. If you are the same as you has, have always been, you better check up. You may not have your eyes on the Lord. Now, when I got saved as a six-year-old boy, there was not a radical change in my life. And sometimes people who, who think they got saved when they were little and then realize, no, there was no change in my life, so they get saved as a teenager. I've heard preachers say this, and it concerns me from this standpoint. Man, I got saved when I was older. You're telling me that preacher's kid didn't get saved when he was little? I'm telling you, they got saved. They would say, no, I didn't. Now, if you want to say, no, I never put my trust in Christ. But what they say is, no, I didn't get saved because there wasn't a change in my life until I was over here. Well, neither was there in mine. I was six. But it's not a change I could, I could perceive. Yes, there was a change, but it was an internal change. And so what happens is, if somebody gets saved and this preacher doesn't see a radical change in their life, they say, they didn't really get saved. That's why you have people getting saved when they get older. And by the way, if you're doubting, it's okay to doubt. Just get it settled. Have I ever had doubts? There have been times I've had a doubt, and I think, wait a second. Is there anything in this world I'm trusting to take me to heaven other than Jesus Christ? The answer is no. Have I ever put my faith in him? The answer is yes, then I'm saved. Was that as a six-year-old boy? I'm pretty sure, but I know this. I'm saved right now. Okay. And so what happens is you got somebody who says, no, every time you get changed, something as big as the Holy Spirit of God moves in your life, there's going to be a radical change. I understand that. But what does a six-year-old boy who sits there and got saved when they were six think? Holy Spirit moved into me, and I don't know what happened. They start doubting their salvation. Right? Okay. That's not the heart of this message, but, man, we got to be careful about that. But here's what I'm telling you. There is a change when you get saved, whether you realize it or not. Here's, this is great news. Look at the last phrase in verse 18. I love this. Even as by what? I did not have to come up with the change. I don't have to sit here thinking, okay, I got saved. What change should I make? Now, you know what? As I read God's word, I'm looking into that mirror, into that glass, and I'm beholding the image of Christ because he's the centerpiece of the, of the Bible. And, that, and, and so I can start saying, oh, I better change this or I better change that. But the real change that's taking place is not by Steve Hobbins or insert your name. 
The real change that's taking place is even as by the Spirit of God, by the Spirit of the Lord, He's the one changing me. There's a radical change, and He's the one changing me. So when I preach a series about living like Jesus, what I'm telling you is the Holy Spirit's the one enabling you. You don't have to come up with all you need to live like Jesus. Boy, that's a relief. Why? Because I fail all the time. And He's never failed one time. And He's not going to start with you. Love it. Okay? What does the Spirit do to use to, do, to change us? That looking glass. The Bible. The Spirit uses the Bible to change you. Man, I haven't read a lot. Listen, you may not be up on a schedule. That's not a bad idea. But if you are not reading your Bible on a regular basis, I meditate on one verse a day. Fantastic. Try and get to two. But I would rather you meditate on one verse a day than read 10 chapters a day and not have a clue what you read. But as God's word starts to go to work on us, we're looking in that mirror and we're looking at the glory of the Lord and there's a change because the Holy Spirit makes that change. Now check out chapter 4. Verse 1. Therefore... Seeing we have this ministry, it's not your ministry, by the way, it's the Holy Spirit's ministry. As we have what? Did you forget that it took mercy to make that change in your life? Because here's what I want to do. Why haven't you changed? Why haven't you done this? And I, you know what I forget? Wait a second. That change the Holy Spirit's doing in my life takes mercy. God had to be merciful to me. I didn't deserve this change. As we have received mercy, what's the next phrase? We faint not. We got to continue. And I could discourage someone. You're not changing. And they don't realize yet how much mercy it takes and the fact that we faint not. When I fail and I let God down and I, I disappoint him because of my sin, my sin comes between us is what I mean by that. And I'm so discouraged. He reminds me of his mercy. And he reminds me, don't faint. Keep going. But I, I failed my ministry. Oh, no, 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 no. It wasn't your ministry. It's my ministry. It's the ministry of the Holy Spirit. I'm changing you. You failed. I don't fail. I'm going to keep giving you mercy, and I'm going to keep pushing you along and say, hey, don't faint. We faint not. Man. This change takes mercy. This change takes time. Why haven't they changed? Because they haven't been saved as long as you. Well, I changed radically. Well, God hasn't put somebody in their life as wonderful as the person that helped you. So just relax. Realize they, did, they get saved and all of a sudden they're surrendered to preach the next Sunday and they're preaching the following Sunday. And man, oh, amen, what a ministry. That don't happen. You know what happens? And we, we think this from time to time. Man, somebody got saved. Where are they? God did not give them a whole life of no character and transplant say, now you have character. Now you wake up when the alarm goes off. Now you're automatically kind to people. Now you pay all your bills on time. Now, right? So what happens is God's got a lot to work on and teach them and there's growing and they still struggle like you and I do, just in less visible character flaws. It takes time. Just relax. 
Let God go to work on people, remembering it takes mercy and it takes time. We faint not. Look at verse 2. But have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully. This change leads to authenticity. The change of becoming like Christ, grace in our lives. He starts making us genuine. You know what authenticity is? I become what, I want, what God wants me to be on the outside because of what's on the inside. That happens more and more and more. Now, we, Paul, for Romans chapter 6 and 7, he talks about how we struggle on the outside because of our inside. But I struggle because this body you're looking at is not saved. The person talking is saved because I live inside this body. I couldn't find another one that God would let me use. So I got this one. Right? But this, this needs transformation because this is the flesh. And the flesh, it's not that he hates God. The flesh loves self. And the flesh is tempted by the world and itself and the devil. And one day I'm getting rid of this flesh. I'm glad we sang about heaven because I'll be able to get done with this flesh. And we'll all get to heaven and everybody will be five foot, five and a half. It'll be a great thing. Okay. This change leads to authenticity. How? But by manifestation of the truth, this change is, at its essence, a manifestation of the truth of God's word in our lives. God starts using the Bible to make us more like the Bible, to make us more like Christ. Cool. I want to be changed into his image, okay? There'll be a radical change. It'll be performed by the Holy Spirit. It's going to require a lot of mercy. It's going to require a lot of time. It's going to make you more authentic. And you're going to notice here, the, uh, oh, the, uh, it's going to be an, a manifestation of God's word in our life, and people are going to notice. Look at the rest of the verse. But by manifestation of the truth, uh, manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. But if our gospel be hid, it's hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not. Not only is the veil over Israel, the veil is over everyone who doesn't know Christ because of the devil. Lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. Wait a second, who are we trying to become more like? Christ, the light, who is the image of God. We become more like him, and we are told what? That we are the what of the world? Light of the world. Well, I thought he's the light of the world. He is, but we are becoming like him. We're becoming more like his image, so we start shedding that light. People start seeing us. We're not, it's, it's his light, but they see that, and their minds are not blinded because the Holy Spirit's working with us because it's his work. You understand? The world starts noticing this difference. There are people that you could point to that would say, this person saw, sees a difference in me of who I used to be. They quit asking you to go do the things they used to do because they know something happened to them. To quote Carl Hatch, I got religion. That's great. Amen. Amen. I got religion. I haven't done a Carl Hatch in a long time. Right? But people start seeing, man, something's different. My dad got saved. And he would tell you, he didn't believe a thing. He didn't get saved when he was little. He gets saved. He didn't want to, to be any different. But his friends right away said, there's something different about you, and it spooked him. Really? Because he was trying not to be different. But the Holy Spirit had already gone to work on him, and the world notices the change in us. Why? Because we're becoming more like Christ and last, 
says, For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants. We serve others for Jesus' sake. And then notice what it says. For God, that's who did verses 3, 17, and 18. The image of Christ, becoming like him. The Spirit of the Lord's doing this. Who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. In other words, God shines in our hearts to cause us to know Christ better. I want to be like him. I want to know him better. I want to know when I say something to somebody, I want my heart to be bothered when it's not what Christ would say or in a way Christ would say it. That comes from knowing him better. We do something and right away we say, you know what, I, I handled it wrong. You know what, you, you know, I paused there for a second because I was about to tell you something that happened and I'm realizing as I'm getting ready to tell you, that was a dream. In my dream, I was acting like Christ, yay. Why? Because I slept when I was preparing this message. I took a nap. And I did something. I can't remember what it was, but I said to that person right away, I'm sorry, that's, that's not how I should handle it. And I was going to tell you what that story is, but that story doesn't exist because it was a dream. <laughs> Bless God, I'm living for God in my dreams. But that's how it ought to be in real life. Where we say something to somebody and we're able to right away say, you know what? Let me back up here. The God that I love wouldn't be pleased that I handled it that way. I could give you some illustrations that happened when I was awake. About a month ago, I had to say something to my son. I said, son, dad acted the wrong way there. I shouldn't act that way. Now, what were you saying? Why? Because I, I, I was just being crabby. That's not, that's not what he would do. Changed into his image from glory to glory. No longer under the law and under rules. Now, I need him because my flesh gets out of line. But I don't need him when I'm following the spirit and he's doing his work in me. And temptation comes. Forget that temptation. Why? I'm looking at Jesus. And this temptation comes. Forget that temptation because I'm looking at Jesus. And I wish it was that way the rest of my life, but I know me. And there's times I'm looking at Jesus and something happens. I'm like, hey. It's like Peter getting his eyes on the storm. Hey. Got his eyes off Jesus. And when I get my eyes off Jesus, hey. All of a sudden, ooh, temptation. So stupid. <laughs> Quit this and, and, and what happens? We say something. We do something, we think something, we act a certain way, and then we're like, oh, man, our heart bothers us. And what we're doing is getting our eyes back on Jesus. Says, I, I want to be like you. And then temptation comes. I'm not bothered by that. And temptation comes. I don't even need rules. I'm not going to be tempted by that. I don't, need, I don't need boundaries. Why? Because i got my mind on Christ. But it's a good thing I have boundaries. Why? Because sometimes I get my eyes off Jesus, and I think, ooh, I better have that boundary in place. And I better get my eyes back on Christ. Some people will say, yeah, get rid of all law, all rules. All, well, no, 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 no. I'm for getting rid of rules if you never get your eyes off of Christ and you never let your life be out of the Holy Spirit's control. But I haven't figured out how to do that. So if you are done with rules, you need to talk to me and tell me how you do that so I can do that too. But there is a difference. My life is not dominated by rules. I am becoming more like Christ because I've got my eyes on Christ and not other people who let me down. That's what that, that's what that means. I'm done. 
Look at verse 17 and 18. Let's read it again together. You ready? Now the Lord is that spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the spirit of the Lord. I'm so glad he changes us. I want to live like Jesus. I want to be like him. And I'm glad the spirit of the Lord does that in our lives.